0: Welcome to Hyperbaric Living Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Masha. Today, I have with me Dr. Naysha Winters. Dr. Naysha has experienced cancer at a very young age. She was diagnosed with ovarian stage 4 cancer at the age of 19 and was given three to six months to live. 31 years later, she's a global healthcare authority and best-selling author in integrative cancer care and research, consulting with physicians around the world. Right now, Dr. Naysha is on a mission to build a Metabolic Terrain Institute of Health, a hospital that will change the standard to cancer care and prevention. Today, we'll talk about metabolic approach to cancer treatment and the role hyperbaric oxygen therapy has in cancer treatment, as well as in cancer prevention. Welcome to the show, Dr. Naysha.
1: So good to be here. This is just a joy to be transglobal with you today
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it is transglobal we are here in mexico i'm in madrid uh two spanish-speaking countries 12 hours on a plane
1: and here we are talk about talk about issues of hypoxia between travel between those two places but no this is a joy that we can transport together in this technology so thank you for having me you know just like anybody else who gets into the field that you and i are in we usually have a personal story that brought us here so i am now over 30 years out from a stage four terminal cancer diagnosis which put me on a path of curiosity to keep finding all the different ways that can best support somebody with that type of diagnosis so fast forward to where we are today and that growing need the number of patients demanding the approach in which i teach which is about the metabolic approach to cancer the growing number of cancer cases unfortunately worldwide has led to sort of my path and purpose which you now will go into later in our talk today but where it all began for me back in 1991 way before dr google was in my own diagnosis stumbling across the work of somebody known as dr otto warburg and that work resonated with me much more than what was current at that time of the two-hit theory of cancer, which is sort of like you have enough genetic mutations, and then one big genetic mutation happens, and then you've got a cancer process. And though I knew I had a, a, lot, a strong family history of cancer, I also knew I had a lot of lifestyle, dietary, trauma issues that definitely led to my cancer diagnosis. And so when I read about Dr. Warburg's thoughts that cancer really starts at the level of the mitochondria, which is the power plants of our cells, which is where metabolic health takes place, um, either is made or broken down based on what's happening in those mitochondria, that resonated with me far more than what I was learning in my pre-med science classes. And it was what led me into starting to explore how to turn myself back into that hybrid engine I was meant to be, how to both be able to burn sugar as needed, um, fats as needed, and to be able to go comfortably in a fasted state as needed. And that sounds kind of simplistic. But for your listeners, it's come down to the um, I think about three years ago, we had a study come out that showed that Americans, less than 12% of them are metabolically healthy, are metabolically flexible. And so that really is what's kind of led to what you and I are conversing about today is we, the vast majority of us are not hybrids. We are not, you know, able to burn the right fuels at the right time or even avoid the fuels altogether comfortably. And so that's where we begin is initiating what's known as that metabolic flexibility and starting to assess people's metabolic flexibility.
0: And that's what led you. And that's how, because it's an amazing journey when you read about it. It's just, wow, what a purpose yeah. to come to um, this planet. I know maybe at the beginning, you didn't feel like oh, that. No. <laughs> oh, no. It's You know, in the beginning, I think you're kind of like, why me?
1: And now it's like, why me more of, wow, what a blessing and a gift that I was offered this opportunity to shine some light on this very topic this very issue that plagues what will be potentially 50% of the population sometime during their lifetime on this planet today.
0: I think by the 2030, right? Yeah. Every third or every in some countries depends whether it's developing countries or not every third person or every second person is gonna develop cancer at one point in their lifetimes.
1: Yeah, it's it's daunting to see those statistics and to feel, you know, we're kind of over here celebrating these small victories of increasing someone life expectancy by two two to two and a half months. Then we're like, yay, that's great. And yet I, I guarantee most people would like a lot more than two and a half months and they'd like a lot more of quality of life during those two and a half months. And so why aren't we even helping people understand how we prevent even coming to that point to begin with and World Health Organization to your point in 2030 the cancer statistics are expected to double worldwide so we are not winning any wars on cancer here despite what the evidence is trying to you know paint a picture around of oh we're finally making headway on overall survival and diagnosis but we're not we're diagnosing more people every year The only difference is that we might be looking on paper like we're living longer with cancer, but we're just being diagnosed earlier um, with it. And so we're really not helping people change the game long before the cancer process takes, takes root. And so that's what, you know, what you and I get to talk about today is like the metabolic flexibility, hypoxia, and all these conditions that we do have control over long before it's an out of control situation.
0: And as you mentioned, um, that's for my listeners, this metabolic flexibility happens at the level of mitochondria. Could you explain to us what happens at the level of mitochondria when a person um, not necessarily gets diagnosed with cancer, when they get cancer or prior to that, what is happening in mitochondria?
1: Sure. I'm going to be very simplistic about this because the biochemistry can be Pretty heady, and I'm not a biochemist. I'm a clinician. I'm also, a, you know, historically a patient, so I like to look at things more through analogies and the way I understand and interpret them. Simply speaking, we are—we've we, got very different programming happening in our healthy cells in comparison to our cancering cells. Okay, they're—they're they're very different animals. So, what is helping a healthy cell may be killing a cancer cell. What is helping a cancer cell may be problematic for the healthy cell. So you have to think of them as two distinct entities because they are different on all levels from their energy creation and production to their signaling pathways to the micro um, environment around those cells everything is different between a cancer cell and a healthy cell. So when I talk about this, think um, more cancer cell centric is what we're talking about right now. Because the things that help keep your healthy cells healthy are very different than what you need to do to kill your cancer cells. So, That being said, in the cancer cell, what happens is it accumulates sort of this gunk. Imagine just like a residue building up in your like the the chain ring on your bicycle, right? You can still push those pedals and get down the road pretty well. But it gets more and more gummed up and more and more difficult to push those pedals. That is literally what's happening in what's known as the Krebs cycle within the mitochondria. And the mitochondria are like little packets of of this what they're called organelles they're like little organs of the cell that live within there and within that highly specialized little organ are all of these processes around creation of atp our energy we used to think that's all that mitochondria do but they're also very much in charge of taking out the garbage so when we get too much junk um you know in the system our healthy mitochondria are able to take out the garbage known as apoptosis, programmed cell death. But as they get more gummed up, more burdened, they start to fail in their efficiency and their effectiveness and taking out that garbage. And in doing so, that accumulation starts to change the way that cell behaves. So it does what's called a metabolic shift from healthy respiration, healthy breathing mitochondria into unhealthy loss of breath, suffocating mitochondria, which is what kicks off this whole metabolic shift into a very different behavior cell, which lends itself to a cancering process. So there are a few words in there that you may will be kind of probably unpacking here. But what happens is basically from the healthy cell to the cancer cell, we lose breath we lose respiration, we get gummed up and we're unable to perform our day-to-day activities of the of dealing with the thousands of ongoing assaults each of us get every single day, every single moment, every single one of ourselves. that's what accumulates. And so the importance of keeping that mitochondria sort of fluid and moving and non-gummed up and keep it well respired, well, um, good breath into it is really key to maintain that balance to keep it from moving into that metabolic shift.
0: Now, as a naturopathic doctor asking another naturopathic doctor i'm gonna ask you uh, prevention where does this junk come from oh gosh how do we accumulate it this is such a good question and then what's so funny
1: is again we think you know what we thought about for many years in in the cancer world is we consider that this was just a genetic problem right and we've learned that it's not that we throw the genetics out with the bathwater. Um, we know that the genetics play a role but only after That metabolic shift. So think about your mitochondria as the protector of your genome, right? So it's like your first line of defense. And it's also that first line of defense, the mitochondria, that I've created this kind of concept around what I call the terrain 10, or the terrain 10 drops in the bucket that impact the way that mitochondria is breathing and functioning. And it includes things like your epigenetics. So what was passed down from previous generations that you have the ability to change the expression of? In your lifetime number two what is the fuel source you're giving your body are you feeding it real food quality food nutrient dense food seasonal organic local food or are you feeding it packaged processed highly chemicalized highly contaminated foods that our bodies literally have not genetically um adapted to like they don't know what this is it's relatively new in our food system over the past 150 years and so that's a fuel source plus has your body forgotten that it is a hybrid engine that it can burn fat on as needed or um, carbohydrates as needed or even fast comfortably as needed most of us are overfed and undernourished and we feel panic if we go more than a few hours without food and we get the hangries or we get shaky, that's a metabolic drop in the bucket problem. Then we look at things like the environment. My gosh, as we now know one of our colleagues who has since passed kind of the father of naturopathic environmental medicine, Dr. Walter Crinion says that it's no longer a matter of if you have toxicity, it's how much, how bad is it, and how does it interplay with your epigenetic blueprint. So we know that drop in the bucket, the microbiome gosh, we've been ignoring this for so long, and naturopaths and Chinese medicine practitioners and Ayurvedic doctors for millennia had talked about the importance of the gut and the gut microbiome, and yet it's been really ignored until we were able to basically do some scientific studies around it and create some pharmaceuticals around it to finally bring the conversation into, into light. And then things like our immune system, This hello if you're not talking about the immune system in the last two years you're definitely living in a hole somewhere <laughs> because we know that we've got a lot of problems when so many of us are facing a virus that we can't deal with um that's a sign of how metabolically and terrain centrically broken we are when we can't deal with these things that do come around from time to time and then inflammation poor h- oxygen so Hypoxia, um, poor cir- um, circulation, uh, blood pressure issues are definitely a part of that drop in the bucket. And then hormone regulation, balance, stress, and circadian rhythm. And the final um, big old drop in the bucket is mental, emotional health and well being. So, all of those things, interestingly enough, contribute directly to the health and wealth and well being of your mitochondrial function. And any one of those drops being out of range is an obstacle to that mitochondria functioning as perfectly as it should
0: so um we get um, for example we um we got to the stage when mitochondria is malfunctioning Mm, and the cell has turned into cancerous cell where do we start do we look back at all the things that are influencing the health of mitochondria and starting to change them right there all the factors
1: I love that question because that's a very simple way that most people can kind of do their own audit we actually have a questionnaire in the front of the metabolic approach to cancer book it's a questionnaire that asks 10 questions about each of those 10 drops and then you can take that quiz yourself and realize what are your priorities maybe what were the things that did contribute to landing in this moment or helping prevent you from landing in that metabolic shift moment in the not so distant future so looking at that what I encourage people to do is maybe look at the top one two or three of those priorities of those drops in the bucket we just described and start there so for instance if it is about food if it is that you've been living on a standard American diet or a very highly processed or or very high carbohydrate diet even a healthy so this can be a trigger for some people, but even high, you know, thought thoughtfully healthy vegan or vegetarian diets—they are much better than a standard American diet. Don't get me wrong, but they do tend to be very, very carbohydrate laden. So they're still keeping us in that sort of metabolic mayhem that makes our cells more gunky and more um, difficult to uh, achieve, you know, vitality in. So that's one place you could start, and like starting to actually do an audit on what you're eating diet diaries maybe get some basic blood tests and look at your insulin levels Um, maybe take a look at your macronutrients there's a bunch of free apps out there to look at your macronutrients and realize that you really probably should be lowering your carbohydrate um, and, and normalizing your protein or your fat intake, depending on your needs at any given moment. But all of us could probably use a little bit improvement in our carbohydrate intake um, of lowering that quite a bit, just from, we've all got sweet tooths today, right? It's just kind of what we've evolved to as well. So that's an example where people could start to look at and start to make changes. One of the most significant and free changes you can start to make to the entire bucket and even though it's metabolically based is start to incorporate things like intermittent fasting and so little pauses of eating you know maybe you you eat only within a, an eight to a, a 12 hour eating window every day versus kind of grazing 24 7 and having a snack right before you hop in bed you know that's what's really interesting is people are just so t- terrified of eating They're like i can't sleep unless i have a snack or i wake up in the middle of the night and i can't fall back to sleep unless i have a snack or i have to have a snack right when i get up in the morning that is a sign of metabolic instability and inflexibility and so your goal is to be able to easily comfortably go 13 hours from dinner to breakfast with nothing but water and if you can't do that you've got some work to do to start right? And then over time, work it up to maybe being able to do 16 hours twice a week um, without food, and then maybe once a month, 24 hours. And if you are someone with dealing, cancer, dealing with cancer, um, using a longer strategy, such as three to five days per Dr. Balter-Longo and a lot of the longevity researchers and cancer researchers can be used around your time of chemo, but also he recommends using it at the end of treatment for six months, a three to five day water fast every day for six months to clean up. From the treatments and then folks out there in the cancer research world mitochondrial research world they recommend even a you know anywhere from a five to ten day water fast once to twice a year just as your cancer prevention or cancer recurrence prevention so those are some strategies that that hits though it most likely hits the bucket of um, your metabolic Three days of a water fast also completely upregulates your immune system. It also changes a lot of epigenetic expression. It also massively lowers inflammation. It also releases all of these amazing endorphins and puts you into kind of a meditative calm state. So it's impacting the stress response as well as the mental emotional response. It resets a lot of our hormonal signals. So as you can see, fasting pulls a lot of the levers of almost every single one of those drops in the bucket, including changing your microbiome over a matter of a couple of days um, going without food.
0: Uh, I love this conversation because (laughs) I love it because I I do believe that diet is the single most important thing. This is where every treatment should start. Uh, And I just wanna give people a little bit of encouragement. We tend to switch from being metabolically inflexible to being metabolically flexible quite fast
1: yes it's not yeah. like you
0: need to do it for a year or even six months that happens really fast if you follow if you follow the rules yes exactly i love
1: and it's so talk about uh, one thing i love about it is it's so empowering it shows people what they are are capable of and it it puts us back in charge because we were never meant to graze 24 7. we were never supposed to have access to all of the foods all from all over the world, every day of the year. I should not be eating papayas in Colorado in December, right? <laughs> you know, like these are the types of things that we have changed in a very short period of time, and we appreciate those and we celebrate those. But our chemistry and our genetics don't know how to to deal with that input. And so, to your point is we've we we can change it very quickly um especially if you're nervous about it there are a lot of people out there who support this process like there's lots of one of our colleagues dr mindy pelt she runs a a resetters group which basically helps guide like hundreds of thousands of people through how to start to increase your um, intermittent fasting process and she takes people through this process and they all kind of do fast together from all over the world so knowing that there's support out there and support groups out there um, and people like Dr. Misha and myself we are really comfortable guiding people through these types of discussions and helping helping them start with the baby steps and incrementally work up to something every single step is impactful. You don't have to do a five day to get all the benefit. A 13 hour is pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. I um, I started my naturopathic journey 20 uh, something years ago, I was actually diagnosed with 10 different chronic diseases when I was 25. And the first thing and I was really lucky to get a practitioner who understood and we started with changing the way I ate. And it's been more than 20 years and I should say that I'm still on this journey, still discovering things, still changing things, still failing sometimes, you know, because I'm a human, but I know it works and it gives you that sense of control. because we can control what we eat. So we have some control over how we feel and what our health is going to be, not only today, but tomorrow and 10 years from now, hopefully and 30 years from now. Powerful. Uh, Where does hyperbaric oxygen therapy fall into whole this um, mitochondria talk and cancer?
1: Well, it's interesting because oftentimes when people are metabolically inflexible or metabolically broken, it tends to go hand-in-hand hand with something called hypoxia, so lower levels of, of, of oxygen into the cells, into the, into the circulation, into the tissues. And so interestingly enough, our, they, they go so hand-in-hand hand of, of our ability to perfuse our tissues with our metabolic health that when we are hypoxic, when our oxygen levels are low, we downshift our mitochondria. So we become less efficient when we're having, you know, when we're deconditioned. When we have sleep apnea when we're obese or when we have a physical um you know injury that's not allowing us to move any longer or we have any damage to our lungs or our cardiovascular system those things can create some hypoxia so if you are someone who snores or um you wakes up feeling really groggy if you don't know if you snore you're likely poorly perfusing um and having hypoxia during the middle of the night so evaluating that because um even dr Otto warburg said that if you diminish your oxygen levels by just a few percentage points you increase your potential to cancer like massively like 48 it's like some crazy statistic of 36 reduction of your hypoxia increases 48 percent of your ability to turn that metabolic shift into cancer so it's really important to look at those pieces so when we're evaluating the metabolic health we also want to evaluate like people's blood pressure, is it too high or too low? Their pulse rate, is it too high or too low? Feel their pedal pulses, so the pulses down on their feet. Can you feel them? If you're not, you're not getting good circulation. Or if the feet are cold, if there's um, pooling of blood and whatnot that are, you're, you're dealing with hypoxia. If you push on your fingernails and you don't see good return of blood, you're usually hypoxic. If you're having any issues with breathing, if you're a shallow breather, you don't breathe deep into your um, below your diaphragm and into your belly, you're likely dealing with some hypoxia so you want to kind of explore that as well how you breathe how you respond to stress do you clench up you know the the vagal nerve the lung area do you hold your breath when you're under stress most of us are always needing to take a deep breath so how these two come together is we know when you're hypoxic you create metabolic shift in the wrong direction we know when you're metabolically broken you increase hypoxia okay so the two they're like literally BFFs, you know, they're running down the path together. So, when we can bring somebody into a hyperbaric chamber in a fasted state, 13, 16, 24 hours, even 13 is great, you guys. What happens? It just gives me chills. You turn on and off so many mechanisms, so many signaling pathways that you are literally recalibrating resetting the entire system in a matter of 60 to 90 minutes Incredible to me the impact of this and people like dr Adam d'agostino and dr angela poff and a lot of the researchers out there in the field of metabolic medicine and brain tumor pathology they there is like literally not a better cancer treatment for brain tumors than a combination of being in a state of therapeutic ketosis or in a deeply fasted state, which will kick up ketones with combination of hyperbaric oxygen. It is incredible what it's doing to literally all 10 and now the other four emerging hallmarks of cancer. And so it is one of the most potent tools. So thinking about that, if you're someone who's new to the journey, trying to create metabolic flexibility, hyperbaric oxygen can help push you up over that hurdle. And if you're someone who's using hyperbaric oxygen, say for radiation burn treatment or a recovery of a wound or a recovery of a TBI, what is ironic is most of those conditions also have metabolic drivers. And so getting in that hyperbaric oxygen chamber may also inspire, um, I use that word very specifically, you to make some of the other changes necessary. So that might prompt you to make some changes in your diet make some changes in your eating and lifestyle habits they come together like J, right it's just a really beautiful merging of those two that impact almost every single one of our signaling pathways and can mutually support one another exponentially
0: does pressure matter does it matter if you go to 1.3 or 2 or 2.4 what's your experience
1: such a great question so my experience has been that any amount is helpful, pressure or no pressure. When you're wanting to use it as a pro oxidative cancer killing therapy, pressure does weigh in at that time. Okay, so if you're trying to use it to help treat uh, brain cancer, you need to be in a pressurized, you know, higher, higher um, oxygen environment to get that benefit. But if you're wanting it for maintenance, of the condition of overall support of enhancing other therapeutic interventions, including diet, the pr- deep no pressure um, is still as beneficial and a lower uh, you know, amount is, is just as beneficial. So I want folks to know that it's like you don't have to do it perfectly to get benefit. Just like we talked about starting somewhere with fasting, 13 hours is a great start. But if you are looking at leaning on to it as a true hardcore toxic therapy to your cancer, please go down to that more aggressive approach. But if you're looking at enhancement of all of your other therapies, supporting you and pushing you over the hurdle of those therapies, boy, boy, how to use whatever you can get your hands on.
0: And do do you recommend supplemental oxygen to go with
1: it? If you're able to, that definitely helps, Um, especially if you know that you have hypoxia because you're seeing low um, levels of pulse oximetry during the day so maybe you're showing up below 97 percent at rest I would definitely consider the supplemental oxygen in that population and I would definitely consider it that supplemental in people who have sleep apnea who have to use um, uh, an apnea machine at night for sleep I would definitely want that because they've already kind of built up a little bit of a resistance to just letting it get in naturally. So the the extra um, support to help you perfuse, as well as diffuse, as well as oxygenate, they're different because you can bring in a lot of oxygen by itself. And if the cells can't carry it and diffuse it across cell membranes into the areas, you know, it's probably helping a little bit, kind of scouring the system, scouring the blood. But you need it to cross some of those some of those um, cell walls and to get into its rightful places to do more, and that often requires extra, um, you know, oxygen within the chamber, as well as pressure, the pressure is what helps drive it across those gradients. And so you know, that's why you'll see people using things like ozone therapy, and hyperbaric therapy in treatments of infections, because that's helping kind of scrub up the, the, the serum, scrub up what's in the typical uh, blood flow. But if you want to go deeper within changing, say, the mitochondrial Krebs cycle pathway, a little bit of pressure is going to be much more helpful, a lot of pressure depending on your therapeutic um sort of goals is going to be you know the most helpful and so that's the place is there sort of gradients of how aggressive you need to be depending on the condition and the goal of the therapy but anywhere along the way you're going to bring benefit to the whole
0: and what about the frequency uh, of the treatments
1: yeah this is a great one this also gets into that N of one. If I have a patient who's also taking on other oxidative therapies, perhaps they're in radiation or chemotherapy um, for an aggressive cancer process, there's already a lot of reactive oxygen species, there's already a lot of oxidative stress and inflammation, and the body can already be in a little bit of an overwhelmed state. So It's ironic because that seems to be the time when you wanna use the most of the the, um, hyperbaric But I tend to stagger it a bit more, maybe one or two times a week, so I don't overwhelm the body with tumor lysis or cytokine release syndrome. If they're not doing concurrent um, extreme cytotoxic therapies two to three times a week, even upwards of five times a week, depending on the situation, is completely appropriate. If I have someone who's through treatment and now they're just wanting to kind of clean up for maintenance, you know we might do if they've never done hyperbaric before we might do a series over a few weeks short weeks together so that are more close to each other maybe three four times a week and then we start to go you know start to go maybe twice a week for a couple weeks and then once a week for a few weeks and then once or twice a month for a few months as sort of cleaning up the rest of the system so i know it's kind of a Obscure answer, but it's so dependent on the individual and what their labs are telling me, what the goal of therapy is telling me, what their oxidative stress load is telling me, um, whether or not they've got some big treatments on the horizon. Like if they're trying to recover from a surgery, we may be more uh, aggressive um, than someone who's just like trying to clean up from previous treatment so I love this therapy because I think as naturopathic doctors we really appreciate this in of one concept of that we treat the individual we don't have protocols and I think that hyperbaric is one of those beautiful therapies that it allows us to practice the art of medicine and the alchemy of medicine and partner it perfectly with the patient's needs at any given time. And so it's really nuanced and really powerful. You can't really screw it up too bad unless you bring it in in certain extreme contraindicated environments or you maybe overdo it. I have seen people overdo it, maybe they were like going aggressively five or six times a week they had a chamber at home and they were going 90 minutes and they were bringing it and their, their, their body just couldn't keep up because the dump that also happens and the lymphatics or the die-off if you're dealing with a co-infection overwhelms the system so we want to make sure the organs of elimination are working we want to make sure we're nourishing the body appropriately hydrating the body appropriately that the electrolytes are in balance there's a lot of factors and i'm sure um, dr Misha, you talk about this a lot with your patient population or even on your podcast here but there is no one way to do this
0: well i love this because it's got to be medicine should be individualized should yes. be personalized absolutely yes. yes there are protocols but they should be taken as a guide more than yes. anything else because every person is different right and we treating a person not treating a disease you. exactly you, You've mentioned that hyperbarics goes really well with uh, ketogenic diet or fasting. Mm -hmm. They're best friends. Um, Are there any other friends um, that they're Uh, friends with? Any other therapies? Like, what do you really like to combine it with? Sure. I mean, my gosh. I mean,
1: first of all, I really like to actually have people take, even if they're not in a ketogenic diet. um, We like to come in fasted. You know, at least, at least. 13 hours. And we we will often for those who are brand new to this and who are not yet in a therapeutic ketogenic diet or metabolically flexible yet will use exogenous ketones 20 Mm -hmm. to 30 minutes before they get into the chamber. That's actually a really powerful tool because it can potentiate the effect of the oxygen. The other thing i like to do is I like to have people doing other therapies that are also helping with perfusion and circulation before and after the chamber. So, you know, things like Exercise obviously is really powerful. Exercise, you know, un, without oxygen, those are kind of really cool therapies that can kick up some some hormetic changes in the tissues to make the body more able to like scoop up, absorb the oxygen when they get in there. Um, even things like taking, depending on the situation, I'm careful with arginine with um, folks that are actively cancering, but something like a nitric oxide inducer. Um, taking like a shot of the of one of I think Apex Energetics has the um nitric balance. And we'll have people take a swig of that before getting in or niacin before getting into the chamber. Anything that's going to help with perfusion, anything that's going to help with capillary dilation, anything that's going to help um open up you know the circulatory pathways a lot of herbs do this you know so a lot of the like the ginkgos um do this you know things along those lines so that or even spices you know having a nice spicy meal or a cup of ginger tea something can kind of cause diaphoresis as well so helping you sweat open up the the tissues even more those are some strategies we've used we've even had people like hop into the sauna first and then into the chamber or have high dose IV vitamin C and then get into the chamber. That's another really powerful combination. Um, I'm just trying to think of a few, I mean, there's so many, it's like, I feel like it's like an unlimited, like, like shopping cart that you can just kind of pick and choose whatever, whatever you want. But it is really powerful if you can get your patients to do things that are helping their perfusion and oxygenation between sessions in the chamber.
0: So all this, um, all the strategies will potentiate the effect of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Okay. Do you have exactly. other tips? Uh, maybe some simple tips, um, person before a person gets inside the chamber or after they get out of the chamber, to yeah. prolong the effect or potentiate it.
1: Sure. So I've had, uh, you know, so again, I've, I've played with this with a lot of patients um, for a variety of reasons. I think the exogenous. Uh, um, Ketones are very, very helpful. Even if someone's in ketosis, it gives an extra bump and it puts a little bit of extra pressure internally on the system that I think that's a powerful tool to use. So um, that would be one I would recommend. If I have someone who I've worked with for a while and they're familiar with what it feels like to have niacin in their body, um, which can feel like a pretty interesting prickly uh, sensation if you're not used to it and can be frightening to people, but that prickliness is just a a capillary um, vasodilation process. So um, as as awkward as it is, it's a really powerful tool to to pop, you know, depending on how much niacin they've taken historically, you know, usually a couple hundred milligrams will, will do it to get in there and really open up the the dilation process. The other thing that I find is really helpful. Um, a lot of people have played with the H2 tabs, so a lot of the hydro um, um, hydrogenated water. Uh, so I think. Quicksilver um, Scientific makes them. there's a few companies out there and you put these into a little glass container, you know, just drop it. you don't want it in metal or plastic or anything like that, but you drop one of those in and it really increases the hydrogen in your system as well, which seems to be another powerful tool. And I have patients take one tab before they get into the chamber and typically they're doing a 90 minute you know 60 to 90 minute dive. And then four hours after the chamber, another. So Mm -hmm. those have been strategies we've seen that kind of carry the impact on and on and on. And if you are someone who's metabolically healthy, who is um, accustomed to fasting more often, I don't want people to eat on the day of hyperbaric. I'd prefer they stay fasted at least through the the rest of the day and breaking the fast the next morning. So it's a nice time to, to sort of center it in the midst of a good, you know, anywhere from, you know, 16 to five day you know 72 hour water fast is a great time to do that in there because it really seems to potentiate the effect um, and then if folks do have issues with like lime or something where there could be die-offs which can happen a lot with oxygen I want them taking a binder at bedtime and that's actually probably a good strategy for everybody in a hybrid because you're what you're doing is when you're pushing things across a gradient you're pushing stuff out As well, right? And so you have that now liberated and moving around your lymphatics and in your circulation and potentially in your liver and your GI tract and your kidneys. And so taking a binder that contains things like humic acid, humic acid or fulvic acid, um, charcoal, bentonite, those things that can bind it as long as you're taking it away from uh, supplements or medications can be another strategy that helps kind of help take out the garbage. So when we talked earlier about the health of the mitochondria, that's what we're ultimately doing with the hyperbaric oxygen is we're kind of giving it a push it's like we're bringing in like a cleanup team with the hyperbaric and so some of these other tools are helping the organs of elimination work a little better and helping the body take out whatever garbage is liberated from that combination
0: thank you you know I have a name for this we should call this precision hyperbarics because it's done yes. with precision so I would you were talking about it and I'm thinking, then we don't need that many sessions really. We just have to do it right and get them up. We, we need to squeeze everything we can from that session.
1: Love it. I lo- And
0: teach them how to keep kicking the can down the road
1: when they are out of that um, chamber as well. That's the key. It's so beautiful. It's, it's giving you the running start. And so I like that you're the way you're thinking about that because that does, that would seem to me a strategy that could lower the need for the amount you're doing in a short given period of time or for the duration you're doing it in.
0: I absolutely agree. It's like going to the gym and not knowing what you do there and just maybe do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But at the end, you don't get much benefit or going for 40 minutes or 30 minutes. But you know what you're doing every single second. Yeah. Yeah. And you go and then you don't have to go every day, really.
1: Exactly. You're you are absolutely going in with intention and fortification to help the utilize that tool to its absolute highest benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool.
0: Can people who uh, don't have cancer or they were not diagnosed with cancer, as far as they know, they don't have cancer, can they use same strategies?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I was just at a. So here's the funny thing. You know, I've been on this cancer journey for myself for over thirty years. I've literally helped at this point over ten thousand patients on this journey. Up until April of 2022. I had never taken a dive, never. And there's a million different reasons for that, it just just was, it just worked out to why that was. And I had an opportunity, and I'm not currently, knock on wood, or to my awareness, cancering, but I was dealing with, I was was in an environment, because we haven't traveled for two years for work, it was one of my first big events out and about, so the energy of being around so many people, although it was divine, my body was like, what is this? There's a lot of people in my field, Um, the travel to get to this conference being in a in a conference site that had mold and new um like carpets and stuff i was feeling really and the terrible lighting and the terrible water quality i mean talk about every assault on my mitochondria got hit all at once and i was feeling really crummy and i had to be on for another few days and so i was already in a fasted state I, i fast when i travel so i was already two days into a fasted state i had my h2 tabs and I t- popped one of those and I went and I got into a chamber for 90 minutes. First of all, I will tell you, I felt like I was having kind of an out of body, um, like psychedelic experience. I, w- I went into such a, a floaty, powerful place and I could literally envision every one of my cells that were like sad and kind of crumpled just go Whoop! like I just felt like a big sunflower open up in every one of my cells. It was just incredible. And I could feel my body be able to tolerate what it was being exposed to in a very different way and so i maintained about four hours later i took another h2 tab and i just hydrated hydrated. i kicked up i went and got some um, electrolytes and i was able to not go normally in a situation like that i would just continue to crash 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 until i got home and did my stuff at home but i was able to write the curve of this in the midst of a deep dive into going downhill really fast and maintain it and I ate like that night I didn't eat that night I didn't eat till the next day I kept it super clean super low carb I didn't bring on alcohol I didn't come in and like add more burden to the system I flew through that experience and I'm thinking, how have I not just been doing this for my own tune-ups and my own maintenance so I would definitely recommend it for folks who have to travel a lot, or know that they're very vulnerable, to, you know, sensitive to environmental toxins, or um, even energetic um, toxin environments, it was quite profound for me to have that end of one experience because um, I'm always accustomed to having it used for like you know, repair from surgery or wound care, or coming overcoming radiation, you know, fibrosis, and I mean, I'm usually using it very medically, and it was, you know, and I know tons of people like all of you, I'm probably saying, duh, everyone's probably everyone, duh, Nisha, but it was so much fun for me to use it more, I don't want to use the word recreationally, because I definitely needed it as a medical piece here, but I could imagine it being used more as a tool of prevention and support a lot more often than I was currently considering
0: it. For wellness, really. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, using it for wellness is just amazing, because all of a sudden you feel, oh, I can really take my wellness or well-being to the next yeah. level
1: yeah yeah resilient
0: I, th- I think the key for me is i felt the resilience come on
1: i also think it helped um my flexibility my metabolic flexibility the whole bit i think that it, that that was just laying in there having those ahas because that's are like what was your aha it was like i know this does this intellectually but i felt it physiologically and that was super cool yay yay
0: it's yeah. april that's like yeah months months back yeah hilarious I was Mm -hmm. this many
1: days old when i learned it was a very powerful tool for me it's never too late really and that's i think that's one of the things in fact one of our we were there with a group of the folks that were running our um, our institution the metabolic training Institute of health we were all there at this conference together and a few of my colleagues as part of that project also got into the chamber for their first time and one of them ended up buying one to take it home and one of them her husband, her partner was a firefighter firefighter, and has had lots of health issues, lots and lots and very much a canary in the coal mine for all exposures. And I'm certain this is going to help him overcome some of the massive toxicity that that population is just, you know, he's, he's, he had to leave the fort, you know, the, the fire department on disability because of the impact on his health. And so I'm certain this is going to help him start to take out that garbage and get his mitochondrial pathways working much more effectively and efficiently. And he already does the diet perfectly. But it's like there's something missing, he can't quite come up over the hurdle. And I suspect that this is going to be the trick there.
0: Thank you for this conversation. Uh, I say. absolutely yeah, I absolutely loved it. I enjoyed it so much because we we always, you know, this is the question that comes up all the time. How often should I use hyperbaric chamber? How many minutes should I stay in? Should I go with oxygen? But it's not really about that. It's it, it, it's how you use it and exactly. using it with precision yes it, yeah that's yeah. that's the way that's the way whether you're battling a disease or just using it for wellness
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: yeah. prevention i mean we have tell we say this all the time
1: that the only cure for cancer is prevention
0: prevention that's the only cure.
1: And so things like this, like, don't be that one in two men or one in 2.4 women expected to have cancer in your lifetime, start evaluating, auditing your terrain now, start to work on your metabolic flexibility, start to work on your perfusion, um, you know, processes, because those are your true longevity tools. Those are your true, you know, um, fountain of youth. And so keeping, keeping with that is a very powerful strategy
0: you've mentioned some really good resources you mentioned mm-hmm. your book you mentioned the institute of metabolic health um your website what where, uh, where people can find you because yeah. i i from what i understand you're not uh consulting patients at the moment right. are you
1: i'm not so you're not taking I new patients not taking new patients but i train physicians from all over the world so we have um an incredible network that we're expanding. We're also training uh, patient advocates in the metabolic approach to cancer, as well as physicians. At This point, as of when, where are we? June, 2022. We have over 88 physicians who've gone through our training. We have almost 200 patient advocates who are going through the training. We start our sixth cohort in the fall for physicians, um, as well as our third cohort for patient advocates. So our plan is is the focus is to grow this network so that this conversation that we're having becomes common versus obscure, right? So that's our our goal. And in that we're building a database simultaneously to collect all of our information, all the data, because we are able to show that we have improved outcomes of patients. And so we want to be able to collect and share that data with the world. And then the third goal that I'm putting all my energy in is the 29 year dream at this point of a metabolic trained Institute of Health, which is a residential cancer, integrative cancer hospital and research Institute grown on a 300 plus acre um, regenerative organic permaculture agricultural um, environment. So food, as you said, the foundation, the hospital's literally growing on a foundation of how we need to nourish ourselves and how we need to live on an unhealthy planet. And so every detail of that campus takes into consideration of everything from the emfs to the, to the toxic you know the materials that we're building the hospital with the the residencies on the property the farm to table restaurant on the property the event center on the property i mean it's a massive undertaking and so we're building that in southeast arizona um, to do this on in the u.s because the u.s is losing access to more and more and more of these very valuable integrative therapies and so putting it under one roof as a in- research institute allows people to stay closer to home instead of having to venture and piecemeal together a very important protocol for themselves to get through a, a cancer diagnosis or any major chronic illness diagnosis so that's where we're going so you can find more information about that at mtih.org that stands for Metabolic. TerrainInstituteOfHealth.org. That's the nonprofit hospital and research institute. You can find more information like podcasts galore and books. We've got a new book out this year with co-authors on mistletoe and the emerging future of integrative oncology, as well as the metabolic approach to cancer, which is celebrating its fifth year and seventh language, and God knows how many copies worldwide at this point, which is really cool. Um, and that you can find on Dr. nasha D. R. N. A. S. H. A. dot com. And uh, Think that kind of covers it. There's a lot of places to find me out there in the social media world, Dr. Nisha, um, um, MTIH, any of those places you can follow what we're up to. Get on our website, get on our newsletter, and keep current because I could have conversations like this with folks like Dr. Meisha to keep access to this information that's free for you to keep listening to and learning from. So incredibly grateful to be here with all of you. I'm
0: grateful here. Thank you for sharing this information because it gives people hope. And I think that's the most important thing about it hope gives strength to fight
1: Mm. Mm. indeed yes thank
0: you let's end it at that that's a beautiful Mm. statement thank you dr Nisha. it's been a tremendous pleasure to have you on a podcast thank you that's it for today folks i hope you enjoyed this episode like i did if you know someone who might benefit from this information Please send them a link to this episode. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive new episodes every week. Until the next week, stay safe and healthy.